All right, so for folks who don't know, we tried a couple weeks ago and we had a whole bunch of internet issues, which is what we were discussing <laughs> as the, the episode came on. But I've got Sam Mooney with me. Sam, we have a good 15 minutes of podcast that the world will never hear. So <laughs> let, let the people know who you are. Yes, yes. I, I, I think we can recreate the magic of that that time, hopefully. But uh, man, doing great. Um, my name is Sam Mooney. I'm a musician based in Nashville, Tennessee, um, originally from Mississippi, grew up in a little town called Brookhaven, and um, then went to Ole Miss, lived in Oxford for several years, and um, in college is when I started really seriously pursuing music, and uh, anyway, I've been doing it, you know, on a, for years now, um, it was part-time for a long time, and then I went full-time after graduation, and there's all kinds of details we could fill in, uh, and I guess we'll do that maybe over the course of the podcast. But yeah, I love love what I do. It's so fun to be a singer songwriter, and um, I think uh, music is also there's a lot of entrepreneurship that happens when you're sort of running things yourself, uh, as we indie artists uh, often do. So get to wear a lot of hats. I love it, and um, it's awesome. And uh, I live in Nashville, of course, with my lovely wife, who I married this year. So I'm a newlywed and uh, got a lot to be thankful for. So uh, let me ask you this. What does it even mean to go full-time in music? Like explain it the way you would to somebody who has like no idea about the industry. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, really, you know, I, I guess when I say full-time, I mean just that being the primary and, and sole, you know, way of sustaining my life. So um, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, people have to sort of supplement that with something else. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be in a position where as I closed in on graduating from Ole Miss and in 2018, I realized that, um, yeah, that, that the, the numbers were sort of going to add up to graduate and start working solely on music. So it looks different for every person, you know, um, every musician has different things that they excel in and things that they um, maybe work at more than others. So um, it varies uh, from musician to musician. But for me, I, um, you know, I spend a lot of time on the road for sure. I mean, 2020 is weird because we're in a pandemic year. So I'm not playing as many uh, gigs out and about as I would um, in a normal year. But in, in normal situations, you know, it means being out on the road, playing a lot of shows there. Um, I do sessions as a keys player, so I'll get hired to play piano on other people's records. Um, and then there's all these other, you know, parts of the business. There's licensing and, you know, there's recording your music and putting out songs um, as a recording artist. And so um, you wear a lot of different hats and there's a lot of different things that the job entails. Um which is one of the things that makes it challenging and one of the things that makes it fun because no two days are exactly alike. Yeah, and I think that's something people don't think about when they hear me. Like they think hear a musician, so they think, okay, cool. You especially here in Nashville, dude. You throw a rock, you hear you hit a singer song. Right? <laughs> yep. Like you're if you've ever been to Nashville, your server at whatever restaurant you went to probably does music. Totally. Like one hundred percent. Um <laughs> I think we talked about this in the last podcast, but I'm trying to remember who said this originally, but they were like, you know, in LA, it's like the most beautiful people in the world come to LA because 
Like they're trying to trying to become a star. It's like the most beautiful person in Montana <laughs> or like North Dakota. Like your your random server in LA is prettier than the most beautiful person like Montana. Totally. So that's that's how it is for music in Nashville. Like the random nobody on the corner singing is probably more talented musically than the most talented person in Montana. Because <laughs> everybody's trying to come here trying to make it. Totally. So you kind of get jaded living here because you're like oh, okay cool like whatever um but people don't think about the business aspect of it mm-hmm. you know you, you mentioned entrepreneurship and we talk about entrepreneurship on this podcast a lot i mean talk about some of those aspects of like you know putting out your music owning your music owning your you know your licensing you know mm-hmm. contracts etc i mean because you're still a young dude and you're trying to figure this out what were some of the key lessons you learned and just some of the you know more valuable experiences you've had figuring out life throughout all this yeah it's it's trial and error man it really is and and um i i always love the expression you know an expert who's so, is someone who's made every possible mistake <laughs> and uh it's it's been that way for me you know like a lot of the clarity i've gained in how to run my music business has come through uh some of the mistakes i made and some of the things that i would do differently if i could do it all now but you know, if you're able to have the humility to admit when you're wrong and admit when you need to change course or to adapt to um, the market or to the business or whatever's happening in the world, um, if you're willing to do that, um, you can be successful. And so, um, yeah, and, and I think as I've gotten further along into my career, I've grown to love the the business side of music more. Like, I think I've never enjoyed it more than than this year, honestly. Um, but, what do you uh, enjoy out of it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I love the spirit of entrepreneurship and the hustle of it and the relationships. I think music is a very relational industry where, um, you know, who you know really matters, but also where just so much of, um, there's so much human connection in it, you know, whether it's um, people that you have you know, business relationships with or the people that are hiring you to play or fans that you meet out on the road or just fellow artists. Um, I think that's one of the things I love the most is, is how, um, it's just a very human connection driven world. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think you have to be a people person to some degree to do it on the indie level and be successful. And I think you have to be on some level, uh, a business man or woman, uh, and, and an entrepreneur, because like you said, um, everyone in, in Nashville is talented and everyone in, uh, you know, it's, it's, we would, I would love to say that it's only about the talent, but you know, your willingness to hustle it's and not. to be innovative <laughs> and to connect with people is a huge part of the equation too. Um, and that is, uh, often what separates, you know, those who, make it and those who don't um because like you said once you get to this level and in this town everybody's good so i think you have to have a confluence of things going for you you know yeah and a lot of people don't realize how many broke musicians there are out there like i'm not talking about the person serving your table i'm talking about famous musicians who are broke (laughs) i like to call them thousandaires um (laughs) You know, I mean, and I know I'm going into completely different genres here, but trust me, I'm, I'm, there's a point to what I'm about to say. Yeah. I was watching a documentary and Snoop Dogg was on, you know, this is Snoop Dogg in like 1999, 2000. He sold 
millions of records. Okay. Mm. Millions of records. And he was going to do a feature on another artist's um, song. And they asked him, how much do you want for it? And he said, I was so broke. I was just like, just give me 3,500. Just give me anything on it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> I was so broke. Just give me $3,500 for a feature. And they ended up paying him 35,000. Um, yeah. And that's that, you know, that part of his life prompted him into learning really the business of uh, mm. music and he became very wealthy after the fact, but the fact that he had sold, I don't know, something like 10 million records up to that point and he was broke and he's, yeah. you know, we're using Snoop Dogg as an example, but, um, there's all kinds of artists out there. Like just cause they're driving a certain car or they're living in a certain house. That's probably a record company's lease. Mm. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. not theirs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and all the money they get in advance, they owe that back. Yeah, totally. So <clears throat> I appreciate the independent hustle. Mm. I've always appreciated the independent uh, musician who goes out there and they might not sell, you know, half a million or a million. I don't really, does anybody really sell a million anymore? I guess <laughs> streams, whatever. Yeah. Um, but what I like about the internet, it's like, it's democratized music. So anybody can put their sound out there. And if, if you can get, if you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you can get enough traction, you can make something good happen. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, I think indie artists have never been uh, more empowered in terms of what they can do for themselves in terms of like global reach, you know, and I think um, that is one of the cool things about where our industry is. And, and, you know, there's negative changes and there's positive changes. And it's easy sometimes to focus on the things that are harder about doing it in, you know, the modern age, um, because the industry is evolving rapidly. I mean, honestly, I started putting out music over six years ago and the metrics of success and the ways that I thought about it and approached it in 2014 are completely different from what I do now in 2020 when I release music, because that's how rapidly, you know, this, this world changes. And, um, so yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I do think, um, Though, again, like, although there's, there's negatives, there's also a lot of positives. And one of the biggest ones is exactly what you said. Like, even without label support, um, or major marketing dollars, um, you know, every song has the chance to be heard around the globe because of, um, the tools that we have at our hands. And, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about Spotify and streaming services and things like that. But undoubtedly um they are the best music discovery platforms that the world has ever known and um you know i think especially spotify is is so great at getting music into the ears of people who are likely to enjoy it and um it's definitely driven my music to a lot of people that wouldn't have heard it otherwise so so you're exactly right i think um if with with hustle um you know, I think indie artists have never had a better chance to reach a truly global audience, even without, um, you know, the tools of a major label. Yeah. So, I mean, what are some of those metrics that like, what would make something successful for you at this stage? Like, what would you look, is it streams? Is it, you know, how many shows you get booked for? Is it, what is it? Is it Instagram likes? Yeah, that's a, man, that's, that's a great question. I think it's a confluence of things. Um, because, uh, you know, I think uh, it's it's easy to look at, at the streams or like your monthly listeners for sure. I think that's where a lot of people spend their time 
uh, you know, trying to grow. And, you know, that is an important metric. It's not meaningless, but there's also um, a lot of other components and, and ways to assess the healthiness of a, of a music career, you know? And, and I mean, to be completely honest, like, I still think, you know, gross revenue is a huge one, you know? And like, yeah. um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think the success of your touring, if people are actually coming out shows, cause there are artists who are able to get on some big playlists that generate a ton of streams, but that those listeners are often passive and it doesn't always translate to real life fans who are engaging with you on a deeper level or, or buying tickets. So, so I think, yeah, I think the, the key metrics are, you know, what does your online engagement look like across social media? What does your streaming presence look like? How are you getting played? Where are you getting played? And then, you know, I, I also think, you know, just are you, are you bringing in money? Are you touring and doing well when you do hit the road and, and how much of, you know, the country that you want to cover, are you covering? And, um, I think the people that succeed are, are the people that are managing to hit as many of those things as possible. And then, and then, like I said earlier, there's other factors like, you know, licensing can be lucrative for some artists and that's a cool thing when it happens. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's a lot of ways to measure it. And, and again, for every artist, it's different um, what they're focusing on and, and what sort of works for them. So, like, what's the fine line that you try to walk? So, uh, I'll, I'll compare it to something that I've been thinking about because I've talked about it in the podcast before about writing a book. Mm-hmm. And I've been in, put in touch with a couple publishers. I've looked at the self-publishing route. And, you know, there's like a certain level of prestige to being, quote, published mm-hmm. as if we're living in the 1940s. <laughs> um, but they own every single aspect of that book. Yeah. Everything. You have no creative control. They can edit crap out. They can change the title. They can change the cover. They own all the copyright except for the actual words. Yeah. So, and what I mean by copyright, like the copyright in book format is owned by them. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. And, and I then you, do that. Yeah. And then you, then you look at somebody like, do you know who David Goggins is? I know the name. Yeah, so he lives in Nashville here, very famous. I mean, he crushed it with his book, You Can't Hurt Me. Okay. And he's made more money off of that book than most professional writers will in their entire career because he's sold over a million copies and he self-published it. Yeah. You know, at $18 a pop, he's keeping 90% of those royalties instead of, you know, 5% after they recoup the advance they gave you and they get to dictate what happens with it. So, you know, in the music world... I know it's obviously different, but there is some overlap. Totally. You know, where do you walk that fine line between wanting to remain independent? I I mean, is it still a dream for a lot of these artists to get signed by a major label? It's a great question. Um, Yeah, I think it varies from person to person. And I do think one of the big ways that the game has changed is that um, having label support or getting signed or getting discovered is not a barrier to entry to being in the global music marketplace. You know what I mean? And I think that's, again, kind of goes back to the conversation about indie artists being more powered is it's like in, we are not that far removed from the days where studio access was extremely hard to come by. You know, it was hard to make something at a home studio that actually sounded professional and like competitively produced and um 
you know, and, and we're really not that far removed from the time where the only way to have a chance at reaching a global audience um, was through a record label or a major distribution deal. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think there was a time where people were, everyone was trying to get signed because that was the way to enter the marketplace. But now I think a lot of people love being an independent and it doesn't make sense for them to, you know, hop on a label until they've grown their audience to a point where, you know, that trade in makes sense. Um, because it really is a business partnership, you know, and it's, um, you know, you're, you're handing over, you know, a certain amount of stake in your recordings and, and in your business venture as a whole, in some cases, um, for, that support and those resources. Um, but again, we live in a time where indie artists have more resources than ever before. So you're seeing a lot of people very happily staying independent their whole careers now um, because they don't need a label to reach everyone that they want to reach. And um, uh, and I think now people are, you know, there's a lot of people that still want to get signed. And, and you know, I, I sometimes I'm one of those people. Some days I'm loving the indie route, but um, it, cha- it changes by the day, but, um, yeah, but at the same time, there's definitely still people who that kind of partnership makes a lot of sense for. So it's interesting, man, the, the landscape is changing all the time. And, and honestly, who knows what it'll look like in five more years, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you don't even necessarily need the big audience anymore. Mm-hmm. If you can find the right niche, it's almost like the world is moving to that direction in general. Totally. Yeah, um, yeah, completely. Like 50 years ago, you had three TV channels. Yeah. <laughs> now you've got, I mean, you can make a killing on YouTube off of a very niche, specific topic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's, I mean, like I said, I've seen incredible things done in music with uh, two softwares, <laughs> Fruity Loops and GarageBand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and some mics. You can do yeah. some cool stuff. Totally, um, man. You know, so, I mean, so when you were touring and you were doing all these things, I mean, how do you handle the stress of that? Cause that quite frankly, I mean, it sounds like it'd be a lot of fun, but it also sounds like it would just suck. Yeah. It's, it has its moments, uh, of, of both. I mean, I enjoy being on the road. I think, um, I always heard a lot of musicians talk about touring as, you know, kind of the headache of the job and the, the, the not fun part. And I wouldn't say that I've ever been that guy necessarily. I, I like traveling. I like being on the road and, and, I like being, you know, it's not the same as being on vacation. You know, you have a show to do, you have a job to do. You don't relax the same way during the day necessarily because your mind's always a little bit on what you got to get done even in your free time. And so, you know, it's not vacationing by any means, but it's also still fun to be in other places. And I've always enjoyed the way that touring has allowed me to see friends and to keep up with people that I wouldn't see so much otherwise. You know, Um, I think if I worked in a job where I was, a little bit more stationary. Um, there's a lot of people that I really care about and love that um, I wouldn't see multiple times a year. But, you know, in a normal year, I do because I'm on the road and, and I get to pass through and hang out with those people. So, but on the flip side, yes, it can be stressful. And, you know, you're on a schedule and there's a ton of time in the car and a ton of time, um, you know, I mean, you, you don't always sleep as well. <laughs> you know, you're you're eating on the road a lot. And, um, so it has its perks. I mean, I love 
meeting new people out on the road. I love getting to take the songs out to the world rather than just putting them up on the internet. It's so fun to play them live. And I love so much about it, but it can be tough. And, you know, um, once I met my wife, it, it became a little bit harder because I wanted to be with her, you know, like I, my desire to just be gone and, you know, do whatever I wanted all the time is different too, because, uh, you know, I had this love sort of pulling me back home more often and that I very much wanted to be back home more. Whereas in previous years, I didn't really care where I was. I just wanted to be out doing stuff, you know? So anyway, uh, so, you know, your relationship to it changes as you change, but I, I do love it. And, I'm looking forward to when the road and venues sort of start to open back up again. Cause um, yeah, there's just nothing like live music. It's such a magical thing and I miss having it in my life and I miss all the cities that I get to hang out in when I am traveling. Yeah. So how has 2020 and Corona changed everything for you? I mean, besides like traveling less. Yeah. Yeah. So traveling less is for sure the big thing. Um, it's kind of crazy. I was just telling a friend about this before this call, but um, prior to the big lockdowns in March, I had not spent two consecutive weeks in one place without leaving in probably three years, maybe close to four. Um, because wow. yeah, when you're a musician who is on the road, I mean, you kind of have to go where the gigs are. You have to go where the money is. And uh, that means a lot of travel. And so my life had become very much a suitcase life. And, um, I had definitely started to feel the fatigue of that. And so I have enjoyed one positive has been being a little bit more grounded and, you know, I'm loving spending a lot of time with, with my wife here and Nashville and, and getting to enjoy the city more than I did when I first got here. Cause we have more time. So there's been positives. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist a lot of the time, not all the time, but I think, um, you know, it was really hard to acknowledge that this was going to change everything about our industry for a while. And it still is, you know, I mean, until the world sort of opens back up and this virus is hopefully kind of come and gone. Yeah, until then, it's going to be different. But I think that it's inspired a lot of innovation for me. And it's, you know, at some point, you have to try to make lemonade with lemons. And I definitely had my initial kind of freak out where I was like, this is the worst thing ever. And what am I going to do? And I literally had to cancel my entire spring tour this year. And, um, that was tough, but on the flip side, you know, you, you mourn those losses for a second and then you have to start coming up with solutions because the world's not going to wait around for you. And so those solutions for us, you know, have been my wife and I have been like live streaming and engaging with people and playing for them that way. Um, I've done a lot of sessions this year. Um, it's actually been really cool. Like even with the losses of like not being able to tour, I've had a really great year of playing on other people's music and, and then just really hammering away at the business part of this job. You know, like there was a lot of business to do's that I needed to take care of that I had been sort of, uh, forced to put off because I was so busy with always prepping for the next show. And it's given me some time to really buckle down and say like, all right, what are all the things that I need to get done to make my career better and easier and of all the nitty gritty business stuff that I can take care of. So all I have to say, um, 
back in March, I thought this was going to be the worst thing ever. But as we're here in almost October, I'm, I, I actually feel a lot of optimism and a lot of excitement. And I can see the ways that um, this has inspired, you know, innovation and some creativity. Um, and just for me to look for solutions. And it's been cool in, in some respects, but hard at times too. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So I know we talked about this a little bit last time, but you've toured with quite a few folks and opened up a lot of gigs. Like just mention to the audience, who are some of the folks you've, you've been on tour with and, you know, how do you even go about, I guess the way I'm trying to ask is like, how do you get asked or put on a tour or with another artist or like explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of our opening slots for these really cool acts have been for sort of one-off shows or, you know, standalone dates. So I haven't done a lot of like opening across the country for the same act for 30 straight shows yet. You know, that's definitely like a something I'm, I'm pressing toward in the future. But yeah, we, we've been really lucky. I say we, I mean, my band and I, um, you know, every date's different and, you know, different relationships that I had in the industry have led to some cool opportunities. But yeah, we've gotten to open for some amazing acts. Um, Judah and the Lion was one of our first big headlining or, you know, times to open for a national headliner. And that was a really cool show. Um, we opened for Coin, um, the band Camino, Dylan LeBlanc, American Authors, um, you know, King's Kaleidoscope, and then some other great um, indie acts that I'm friends with, like Jordy, Cersei, and The Brook and the Bluff, and um, and Stephen Day. And so, I mean, each one of those opportunities came about in different ways, um, but they're amazing. I mean, a lot of those shows with those artists were some of my favorite ever, and um it's it's a very special thing to to kind of warm up the audience for an act that you love and then to get to hang around and hear a show from an act that you love. So uh, those are definitely cool opportunities. And uh, Lord willing, I'll get to add to that list uh, as the years go on. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, I don't know. Like when you go to a concert as a layperson, such as myself, I never really thought about the business side of all of it that happens behind the scenes. Like, how did these people get teamed up with these people? How do people get paid? Who's getting paid? Why? Yeah. You know, how much of that merch do they get to keep, et cetera. So, you know, as you look at your life. So, again, you're young. You're like, what, 24? 24, yeah. Okay. Let's fast forward to 34, 44. If you're still in music, what did your life look like at that point? Because I'm assuming, you know, you haven't gotten married recently like your family life will evolve as well totally and and with all the things you've you've described like how do you how are you thinking about your future from that standpoint man that's a great question and i think about that a lot and i think about that so much more than even a couple years ago because now i am married to the woman that i'll spend the rest of my life with and it's actually really inspiring even when there's um you know parts of the plan that you're not sure about yet it's i find myself very motivated by the prospect of a family and kids down the line. You know, I, that's actually a great source of motivation because I think um, for a lot of people, they don't have a sense of urgency about prepping for their future until, you know, five years after they should have probably started thinking about it hard, you know? <laughs> and yeah. um, I, you know, um, I didn't want to be one of those people. And so, um, 
you know, even before I met my wife, I was definitely thinking about a lot about, all right, how am I going to grow my career to a point where I can hopefully still be doing this job that I love full time without being gone every weekend, you know, um, because I do want to be a present father when that time in my life comes and, and obviously a, a great husband. And so, um, you know, I, I was thinking about that before I even met my wife, but now it's so much more real and, and so much more, uh, it doesn't feel as far away as it used to. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know how I'll, the specifics of what my career will look like, but like I said, I think the goal is to find a way to be a full-time musician for as long as I possibly can. Cause I love this industry and I love this job and yet also to be, you know, the man that I'm called to be for my wife and family and to be, you know, present. And so what I think that looks like on a practical level is, um, growing the songwriting part of my career. I mean, uh, it can be pretty lucrative to be successful as a songwriter, even if you're just writing for other artists, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, of course I, I've really been hammering away on getting some cool things in place for licensing my music this year. And of course I'm trying to grow the session playing part of my career. Cause that can largely be done remotely or at studios around town. Um, you don't have to leave the city so much for that part of the job. And, um, yeah, just growing all these other business, um, you know, elements. And also, I mean, trying to grow my career as a recording artist and a solo artist so that, you know, one day the amount of sort of passive income I have is hopefully higher and um, where I can play less states but make, you know, bigger guarantees um, because I'm a bigger artist that can command more than I you know, have in the past. So really it's just kind of trying to grow the whole enterprise so that I can do the same things I'm doing now, but I can be more selective about which opportunities I take so that I can be, you know, what I want to be for my future family. Um, it's kind of a long answer, but, uh, but yeah. And so, you know, what that looks like now is, is just trying to grow all those elements of my career and being proactive about, um, you know, forging relationships in the industry and growing relationships in the industry that are going to be beneficial down the road so that I can have that kind of life, you know? Yeah. I, I want you to spend a little more time explaining the songwriting aspect, because what I think a lot of people don't understand, it's my understanding, the real money in music is in producing and writing songs. There's a ton. Yeah. It can be very lucrative for sure. Because, because that's where you create a true catalog mm -hmm. that you own. Um, you know, so, so explain a little bit more about that. Like, cause that's a great way to create, again, something I'm very big on, on this podcast, creating passive income, that mailbox money Yes, coming in off of, best. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, sir makes a lot, made a lot of money off of, uh, of, uh, I like big buds and I cannot lie, especially yes. when, you know, freaking kitty litter commercials are like making kitty versions of it. Yeah. Um, he gets, he gets paid every single time on that. That's one song that's made him a lot of money. So if you can get one hit like that or a catalog of hits. Totally. You know, there's serious cash. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, an old, uh, I don't know if it's a saying, but I've heard it said a lot around town in Nashville, which is uh, all the biggest houses you see, you're the songwriters houses. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not even always the artists um, because yeah, it's, it's intellectual property. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but, um, and I'm not a, 
expert on like publishing and all the ins and outs of that world because it gets kind of crazy with music law stuff. But I do know that, um, you know, when a song is played on the radio, it's the songwriter that gets paid and whoever owns the publishing, not the artist. Um, the artist certainly benefits from that exposure and it can help their touring out and all those things, but it's the songwriters that make the money from radio. And in, um, when licensing agreements happen or a song gets played on TV, um, you know, the initial fee, the artist has a stake in, but the, the fees for the performance of that song and it being broadcasted go to the writer. And again, the, the publishing holders. And so, yeah, when you actually break that down and see how much revenue is being generated in that part of the industry, uh, you can see why it gets pretty lucrative fast and why everybody in Nashville is trying to write a hit. <laughs> and honestly, uh, the more I studied that part of the business, the more I got interested in trying to pitch songs to other artists. Um, I'll, I think I'll always push my solo career and release songs as you know Sam Mooney, but um, yeah, I, I mean it's it's an incredibly lucrative field for those that do well in it. And uh, no matter what business you're in, you know whether it's music or not, um, everybody wants to have passive income. Everybody wants to make money while they sleep and to have work that they've already done working for them. And uh, yeah, songwriting is one of the ways that that can happen for artists. And um, so yeah, that's something I'm really trying to amp up. I think I'll always push my solo career hard and um, that'll always be a, a huge part of what I do um, and releasing my own music. But uh, I would not be mad at all to have a hit for someone else <laughs> as a songwriter. And I think there's a lot of people in Nashville who are trying to get that first big writing cut because um, it can be lucrative. And Nashville is a great town to be in for that. It's such a songwriting center, you know? Yeah, and I, I think... You know, that kind of goes back to the whole, you don't want to have to tour for the rest of your life to provide for your family. Totally. So you want to figure out a way that you can get compensated based off of, like like you said, the intellectual property. Totally. And a lot of people um, ignore that part. You know, they'll take the more money up front. Um, it, I mean, it's kind of like my beef with the whole, as I've been learning about the publishing industry uh, in the book space, it's like, okay, cool. You'll give me a whole bunch of money up front and then you'll basically you know, use me for the next, however long. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not comparing those two worlds to the music industry. Cause I don't know how, how enough about the music industry, but, but it's yeah, like there's if you've overlap got a, for sure. Yeah. But if you've got a following, you know, why give up control? Totally. Like this, why Cre control your own creative process? Why? So you can say you're part of a XYZ group. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Literally who cares? Um, totally. matter, matter of fact, there's less trust. I would say in 2020 being part of some of these big groups, mm -hmm. like, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use the example of journalism. If I come across an independent journalist versus somebody on CNN or Fox news, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. I'm going to trust an independent journalist more <laughs> yeah. than I am going to trust a Fox news or CNN person. Completely. Totally. Like, you, yeah. Your, your title doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, well, that was, sorry, we went off on a ta tangent on that part, but that was super, like, this was super cool. I, I mean, I never really even, I've had other musicians on and, and we've talked more about maybe more some of the life stuff, uh, than we have specifically the music part, but yeah. this was actually really, really cool to just like learn about and, and think through. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the way I always end these podcasts is, and again, you're not that far removed from being 18, but I always say like, Hey, 
Sam, if you could go back to 18 year old, you, you know, going to Ole Miss, um, wide eyed and bushy tailed, knowing all that you know about yourself and knowing all that you know now, what's one piece of advice you'd give yourself at 18? Man, that's a great question. Um, I would say one of the, the, the main things I think that has worked well for me, um, gosh, actually there's so many pieces of advice, but, um, there's a great saying and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's basically like, um, Oh gosh, how was it phrased? It's, it's something along the lines of like, um, success is the result of sustained focus over time, you know? And, um, there's a more eloquent way that that's put, I think by whoever originally said it, but basically the idea is, you know, constantly working in one direction over time, sustaining focus on one goal over time is the path. And I think um, when cool stuff has happened for me in the music industry, um, it's always been really flattering, but I've always had people kind of be like, dude, how, like, how did that happen? How did you, how'd you do this? What's the secret? You know? And like, um, and really like, I think a lot of people are looking for quick solutions because we do see people who seem to get very quick results overnight or become quote unquote overnight successes. But I think even in a lot of those cases, man, it's like, it's people who grind for years at the same thing. And I don't know that I did any majorly clever or genius things from a business or marketing perspective. I think the one thing I've done right is that for seven years now, every day, the number one focus of my work was on my music. And I never really wavered in that even when I felt less motivated, you know? So it's not the glamorous or like fun answer, but I think the number one thing is just like, consistency in your work and having a goal and working on it all the time and not just during flashes of like inspiration and motivation those come and you can ride those waves as they come but not dropping off completely when it's not there um, but just sustaining your focus um so yeah that's again not as inspirational or fun and then the other thing i would say is just recognizing that um uh, I would also tell me just to enjoy um, enjoy the ride more. I think I have a tendency to always be focused on the next move and the next goal and the next milestone. And that's a good thing. I think I can attribute some of the good things that have happened to that mentality. But at the same time, I do think it's really important to to look around and smell the roses every once in a while because time flies by and and lately i've missed you know some of the moments along my journey that you know on paper weren't as successful as now but they were fun moments along the way with people that i really enjoyed playing music with and um so yeah enjoying that ride uh more i would say i would i would advise my 18 year old self to do that because uh yeah you don't want to get caught looking ahead so much that you forget to enjoy the beauty around you and I think uh, I've still so much that I want to accomplish and I'm trying to get better at enjoying the process of getting there. Awesome. I think you just gave me the title for the podcast. Enjoy the ride. I love it, man. <laughs> Dude. And, and by the way, thank you. This has been really fun. I, I, I am a music business entrepreneurship nerd and typically that's not what interviewers want to focus on. <laughs> it's not as fun as just talking about like influences and stuff or 
you know, maybe it's what they think people want to hear, but I very much enjoyed uh, this entire conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm glad we got, got to connect. Um, shameless plug. How can people hear about you? How can they find you? Social media, website, et cetera. Yeah. So my name's Sam Mooney and um, all of my music's out pretty much anywhere you can find your, your music online, wherever you listen to it, be it Spotify or Apple music. It's all out there under my name. Uh, just released a song called Sunshine. Got another single coming out next month. So check those out. And then, um, yeah, I'm on social media, Sam Mooney. Um, you can find it. And then I have a website as well, sammooneymusic.com. So would love to uh, connect with some of the people listening for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, we'll put that in the show notes. And for everybody listening, info at mmcip.com or millennial-manhood.com. If you want to get a hold of us, want to suggest somebody for us to interview, etc. We always look forward to feedback, constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain, offer a solution, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Anyway, Sam, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. Really appreciated it. Everybody, we look forward to talking to you guys soon. <laughs>